Regina Belafonte is a phenomenal woman in every sense of the word. Yes, her father is the Harry Belafonte, and she humbly, gratefully, and proudly carries the legacy of her parents, both who grew up in the Great Depression. But before we go any further, make no mistake about it. Gina has an incomparable and extraordinary value for being who she is as a person, while also adding meaningful and empowering impact to all of her work, a committed family member, freedom fighter, and artivist, Gina embodies what it means to be the change. In this episode of Mental Health is Real, Dr. Dotson, myself, and Gina talk about creating a legacy of advocacy, explore healthy relationships, and highlight the vital role mental health plays in the movement for justice. Mental Health is Real with Dr. Milo Dotson, reflecting empathy and love. Peace, brothers and sisters. My name is Dr. Milo Dodson, and I'm a licensed psychologist in the state of California. On today's episode of Mental Health is Real, that's Mental Health is Reflecting Empathy and Love, we have the honor and the blessing of being able to sit down with the one and only Gina Belafonte. Gina, first and foremost, thank you for being you. Thank you for... Um, in addition to the work that you're doing, just the value and the enrichment that you bring to our lives. We, I think, really, really just want to start off by saying thank you. Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, thank you. <laughs> and thank you for offering me this opportunity and this platform to be in conversation with you about yes. issues that are so important to us both. Yes. And um, I'm really, really excited about where this conversation might go, and I'm grateful to be here. First and foremost, in addition to sharing gratitude, what Yessie and I recognize in, in kind of preparing and planning for today, and even in listening to some past interviews that you've done, we really want to acknowledge and give you thanks for your value, because often we heard and we kind of assume that people may automatically make the connection to your father, to Harry Belafonte, and as I remember you sharing so affectionately about him. He is one of the greatest men to ever walk the face of the earth. And we 100% agree with that. And we also want to really validate you and your value and not just say like, oh, in our headline or the tag for today's episode, Harry Belafonte's daughter, Gina, it's Gina is a woman and Gina is a blessing to a lot of people. And we really value you being here. Well, I appreciate that. I think that, you know, those of us who can draw from our early childhood upbringing and the choices we made entering into this life and choosing our parents, because I believe that we chose our parents, whether All how right. conscious we were or not, All right. um, to carry the work forward. I'm grateful to be carrying the legacy of my father and my mother forward and um, the legacy of so many of those who have come before us, yes. um, who have given us the opportunity to be present and to be woke and to you know, do our best to give back. And I think in carrying that legacy and standing on the shoulders of giants and being able to move forward, we really want to start off in our first question by asking, who are you and how have you carried that legacy? Who is Gina Belafonte? Well, I'm a human being. Yes. I'm a mother. Right. I'm a sister, a daughter. I'm an aunt. I'm hopefully a person who is doing their best to use whatever resources they can find to give back to the community, to build healthy communities. Mm. 
Uh, I'm a freedom fighter. I'm an artivist. I am sometimes thought of as funny. I'm. I, I would I'm concur a lover with that. Of yes. Life. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a lover of life, and I'm just someone who's walking through the world, hoping and praying that mm. each day we. Um, have the opportunity to shift consciousness and yes. to help someone and to um, help those who are in need. That's beautiful. And I think we really value the identity of being artivists and being the combination and the, the synergy of being an activist and an artist. And we recognize in your work with Sankofa in particular, um, that's kind of the, the mission of Sankofa that way. So would you be able to share a little bit about kind of the, the mission and how you came into that role? So my father has always used his platform as an artist mm. to engage his fan base around things and issues that they may not be either privy to or that educated on. Mm, okay. um, so if, from when I was a kid, I would observe his artistry and see how he would bring artists from other countries mm, yeah. to share his stage and his platform. And, you know, it was the first time audiences heard sounds from Africa or heard yeah. sounds from Latin America or from Greece or whoever was sharing the stage with him. And whether it was um, a highlighted individual like Miriam Makeba or Nana Mascuri mm. or Leta Mbulu, there were also many musicians that mm. participated. And he would work with their own indigenous rhythms to incorporate that into the music that he was singing. And so yeah. really quite um, non-in-your-face, mm -hmm. he was sort of infiltrating the hearts and souls and minds and rhythm aesthetics of his audiences. And my father would sing close to five songs before he would even talk to the audience. So he oh, would wow. really grab their imagination and grab them into the context of the language of the content that was in the song and the right, rhythms right. and the music and then he would welcome them and then he would talk to them and, and then he would throughout the rest of his uh, show talk to them about different issues or different points of view that he had that he would right. share with them and so I watched this mastery most of my life and saw how he was palatable to mm. many saw how he changed people's points of view and then by his side was my mother who at a young age always included me in a lot of the fundraising raising efforts that they had or doing for the uh, civil rights movement mm -hmm. or some of the campaigns that they supported. She would have me go out on the street and hand out flyers mm. and such. Did you know at that age that what you were doing was something powerful or where you were just kind of like, yeah, mom's telling me to do this and I need to... I think it's sort of a combination of the two, yeah. right? You know, yeah. I think there was a part of it was like, yeah, okay, fine. You yeah. know, as a kid, you're like, whatever. Okay, I'll the change the time, world if I have to. Right, right, right. But at the same time, you're seeing how important it is to your parents and how critical whatever they're engaged in seems to be to them. And so it wasn't taken lightly, though it wasn't necessarily my course. You know, I sure. I'm, I'm grew up wanting to be an entertainer, an, an actor, an artist, and getting into social justice activism was just sort of what I was born into. Mm. And then as I grew up, 
open uh, realized some of the desperation that was in our communities and among my own peers and among my own friends that were in my community. I lived an extremely unique lifestyle uh, growing up. My mother came from, you know, I would say lower, lower middle class. My father came from poverty. Um, They were both children of the Depression. Okay. So growing up as a child, my mother and father were like, you know, in New York, they would be like, you know, come home when it's dark or come home before dinner, you know, kind of a thing. Kind of like the good old days. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, when the street lights turn on, you better get your butt back home. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but I also, in the face of that, Mm hung out in the park and hung out in the street and in some ways took on a whole different identity Uh. because in those days when people looked at me growing up in New York, being of a white mother and a black father, it automatically made me Puerto Rican. So so most of my friends growing up, most of the folks I hung out with were, you know, brothers and sisters from Puerto Rico who grew up in the projects, who embraced me in their communities. Some kind of already knew who I really was, so to speak, but others just thought I was Gina from the block. Gina from the block. (laughs) You know, and I was, I became a salsera. I was totally into Latin dance. My mother, a white chick from the Lower West Side of New York, was a and still is an amazing dancer. She was with the Catherine Dunham Company, which is an all-black mm. dance company. Wow. And so she taught me how to salsa, and we would go out, and like my first boyfriends were Latino, and I just, you know, I embraced the culture because I think I most identified physically sure. with how Latin, Latin people looked. And so, you know, I used to say, my mother's white, my father's black, and I'm Puerto Rican. Uh, <laughs> and there so, it is. <laughs> you know, so just in terms of my own like indoctrination growing up and the kind of lifestyle that I led, I knew I was blessed. I returned home to a 21 room apartment on the Upper West Side of New York. I knew I was lucky and fortunate. Mm. Um, but I also, you know, hung out in the street and passed, sure. so to speak. How did you balance all of that enriched cultural value between the, the class, between the ethnicities and the communities. How did you work towards balancing all of that? Because I know that can be really challenging for a lot of folks. It was. I mean, I would hang out in the street and I would come home and take a shower and then like sort of put my hair up and get all dolled up to go to Lincoln Center to the ballet, you know. Uh, It really was sort of like a dual lifestyle that I was leading as a kid. And I think it wasn't until I really got into prison abolition work Mm. when I was already in my 20s, because I spent a good portion of my high school years and my college years really focusing on my craft as an as an actor and as an artist and you know delving into the traditional theater curriculum really learning about all the dead guys all you know like Shakespeare Mm, and Chekhov and Ibsen and Shaw all those sort of colonial European um, amazing artists who many of them spoke to the issues of the day in their time periods Um, and I didn't make those connections so much except for that I knew that the characters that they created were characters that I could identify with yeah yeah and it wasn't until I became a young adult and um, even though I had worked on things with my parents and I'd been to the the We Are the World experience and Hands Across America and Mm. Mandela and you know all of those incredible live aid you know uh, events um, I'm sitting here in awe with my jaw open I know y'all can't really (laughs) see this but I'm just like my eyeballs wide open. I don't know about you, Yessie, but I kind of want to see her passport. Yes. And, and you do. All, all the, the stamps and... Yeah. Man. But yes. I'm sorry, I just, I'm just no like, yeah, 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 go ahead, yeah. I'm getting lost. I almost forgot we're doing a podcast. Like, I'm just like, go ahead, keep talking, yeah. 
Well, um, but really, it wasn't until I was a young adult and I was already a mother that I met a young man from Los Angeles by the name mm. of Bo Taylor, Bo Ta- who okay. was a freedom fighter. He was a, um, a prison abolitionist. He was a gang interventionist, mm. as they called, as he called himself. Okay. And in meeting him, you know, I actually I did a TEDx um, a TEDx talk out of Sing Sing Prison, and I speak about my relationship to him. He invited me the night I met him to go to a celebrity, quote unquote, celebrity softball game here uh, in the, okay okay and so i'm thinking okay sure he was like please come and to our celebrity softball game we uh-huh. want you to play you know you'll come and meet our community yeah and i was like awesome and i met him through um through my father but really through a woman by the name of connie rice who connie, was a civil yeah. rights lawyer here mm-hmm. in los angeles and, and i um, think she's also connected to saint kofa as well she's, yeah she's one of our uh, on our advisory that's board. right that's yes. right that's right and she's a civil rights lawyer and she's an amazing mind an incredible heart anyway so he invited me to the softball game so mm-hmm. I went into, um, you know, sort of the mid-Wilshire, but maybe a little farther east area to this park. And mm-hmm. I got out of my car with my then, like, you know, three-year-old daughter. And we go out and he greets me and he you know, brings me into the dugout to where our team is. And I'm looking at all the team members and they're all like big guys, all tatted on their necks mm-hmm. and arm, like everywhere. And I'm like, oh. Okay, this is interesting. So these must be the guys that he works with, you know, sure. that are either returning from prison or in the in the in the community, and they're really great, and they're all like, you know, welcome, and we're gonna have a great day, and and I'm looking around, and I'm not seeing any celebrities, and I'm thinking, hmm. That's too bad. Like, uh, I, wonder who, I wonder who else he asks, yeah. you know? So, you know, we get into the game, the game starts, and then it's my turn to go up at bat. So I give, I hand my three-year-old off to some, like, majorly tatted dude who's <laughs> smiling, happy face. Uh-huh. And it was really funny because, and I've told this story before, but, you know, seeing these guys who are, you know, from the outside, sure. you know, walking, you know, most people would want to, you know, cross the street would not want to be in close but you know they held my daughter they're all talking mm. in really high voices and really being so sweet and yeah. it was just incredible oh, judge a book by its totally yeah, yeah. totally totally yeah. so so anyway I go up to bat I got a single then the next batter brings me home it's like ooh rah we're all excited <laughs> uh-huh. I come in my you know they're all like look at mommy look at mommy you know with my daughter Hi, we're all high fiving but I still look around at this point and I'm seeing there's no celebrities and so I say to Bo like dude I'm really sorry like no Nobody showed up for you. Like, no celebrities showed up. And he yeah. looked at me like I was from Mars. I was like, what's up? He was like, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. I was like, well, you said it was a celebrity softball game. He said, these are the celebrities. These are all the guys that have come back into the community to make a uh, shift and make a change. And they're our celebrities. I just wow. like, my, talk about jaws dropping. I mean, yeah. my jaw totally dropped. And I thought about the time when my father, he often talks about when he first met Dr. King. Mm. And he thought it was going to be like a 45-minute conversation. And it was like four hours and he knew that he would be in his service for life. Right, right. That's the way I felt about Bo. Bo wow. just totally won me over. And from then on, you know, we we kept doing work together. He brought me into the prisons. He brought me into the community. Mm. Um, we, he had a life skills program that okay. he did and asked me to be a part of. I was like, I can't do it unless I take it. So we took it. And it was something that they also uh, provided to and facilitated inside prisons. And so w- wow. when it was time for our graduation, yeah. it was the same time as a graduation inside. So we gra- so we went to the prison to graduate from the course together. Okay. Um, I had about, you know five or six people taking the course with me from the from my community. Sure. And it was um, part of the work of the AmeriCam program that Jim Brown had put together. And it was, a, it's like a life management skills course, you mm. know, and it transcended socioeconomic background. It's transcended race or age or anything. And it was, you know, skills that we sure. could all use to yeah. walk through life. Yeah. And, 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 and it, 
<laughs> and anyway, so so it was just you know way that I have then moving forward have modeled my, my the way in which I engage mm. and the work that I do and right. and he's the one who really helped me step up my game and be more invested in community and and understanding really even more deeply all the work that my mother and father had been doing for all this time. Yeah, I I continue to be so in awe of how much intentionality i think the the buzzword these days is how mindful right mm-hmm. and in that mindfulness of all your actions how much meaning there is and intentionality behind all of the uh, behaviors but also just the decisions that you're making and the the experiences that you have and i'm also curious about on an emotional level what is it like going from one climate what is it like going from one environment mm. to another and what's that emotional process like for you because you know i'm a psychologist so yes. i'm all about the emotions that's yes. that's a bread and butter well i think that you know it's i've, I've been doing a lot of work on myself for yeah. a long time okay you know and a lot of the work that i do is really around self-responsibility mm. and checking myself And making sure, as you were saying, in terms of mindfulness and intentionality, making sure that my intentions, like what are my true intentions? And sometimes I'm conscious enough to know, and sometimes I'm not. And certainly when I don't know um, or haven't questioned myself, um, I do my best not to judge myself Mm. around it, but just take note. Yeah. Of, you know, if something seems off or strange or that was a weird interaction. And, and you know, usually I find that if my intentions are relatively clear yes. and pure mm-hmm. in, in, in what I'm trying to achieve, um, things go pretty well. Yeah. You know? And I think that's, that's powerful to be able to have that awareness and that self-responsibility without the hypercriticalness and to still be compassionate with ourselves because just like we talk about our intent and our on our actions to others may not always have the the impact Mm -hmm. that we intended Mm -hmm. i think sometimes that also matches our own um, intentions Mm -hmm. for ourselves right like i may want to do something for me and i know my intentions are x y and z but it actually goes awry and it has a different impact on me emotionally. Right. And so and so when I hear you talking about you're aware of that and you can also kind of work through that without kicking yourself, without putting yourself down, that's really beautiful. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, this human experiment, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're all on um, different paths to consciousness, yes. even whether we're conscious about it or not. Yes. I believe that um, certainly the more conscious we can get about ourselves and what we're doing, I think the more empathy we mm. can have for others. And ourselves, absolutely. Yes, um, the yeah. more we can realize um, our own miscomings or misgivings or shortcuts or, sh- or shortcomings, mm-hmm. um, you know, we can then appreciate that in others um i mean i have a pretty unorthodox kind of but not so uncommon but still unorthodox so to speak uh, approach to spirituality Mm, and and the way in which i visit it and engage it and include it in my life and a lot of that is based on my early childhood upbringing from where my parents are from and their experiences within sort of more traditional religious practices okay um And also, I think, you know, there are those relationships to your parents where you feel like you want to break off and do things that are going to just test their comfort level. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. 
And so when I was in college, I started reading books like Affirmations, books on affirmation, right, right, right. or like, you know, um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, or, you know, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, or, you know, things that started to like expand <laughs> to my mind yeah. a bit. I was just about to ask at what point in your life did you feel that you were just becoming more aware of yourself and your intentions? Because how you mentioned earlier, your upbringing was different. And you definitely were involved and you met this person, Bo, who helped change your perspective. But I myself, I'm always constantly figuring out who I am, what my intentions are, becoming more aware of my feelings. Mm -hmm. And it is something that we have to work on no matter how old you are. Yeah. Right. And at what point did you start in your life? Like start paying attention to that a little bit more well was that in college with the book yes it was definitely in college because you see my parents come from a very traditional freudian therapeutic process they both Mm. were in therapy for a very long time and it was freudian therapy that they Mm. were into psychoanalysis psychoanalysis it was always trying to like you know peel the onion and go deeper and but their inquiry for me wasn't always jiving. Like, I remember when I was a really small kid, my parents put me in therapy because I would always say to them, do you love me? Mm. Do you love me? I would always ask them, do you love me? Do you love me? And they were worried why I was asking that so much. And instead of questioning, and maybe they did, but instead of really questioning themselves, they put me in therapy and thought it was my problem. (laughs) Right? Oh, that's interesting. So I went into therapy at a very young age and, you know, I would I didn't really particularly like it. Like mm. I would go there and I would think that there was something wrong with me, which is why I was there. I didn't see it as a tool or a support at that age. So mm. I would go in and draw pictures and be kind of like I can't wait for this hour to be over and then leave kind of right. thing. And I was right. really young. Like I was I don't know, somewhere between 7 and 11, maybe even 7 years old, 11 mm. something like that. Anyway, mm. So knowing that and knowing that my parents were in therapy and knowing that there was sometimes very, you know volatility in my parents' relationship uh-huh. and seeing how they used therapy as a space for mm-hmm. them to understand themselves deeper. Right. When I got into college, I thought, I wonder if there are other ways to have this inquiry without having to go to therapy or at least that kind of therapy. Right, right. So that's when I started you know, reading books and um, thinking, oh, this is interesting. This is a process. This is So I started to test those offerings out of those books, like doing mm. affirmations, mm-hmm. trying meditation. And they were kind of okay. Like, they were interesting. I was open to them. But I later learned, looking back, that I really needed a facilitated process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so when I met my baby daddy, um, <laughs> who became my husband, okay. but who now is my baby daddy. Baby <laughs> daddy, husband, okay. Um, that followed he, that progression there, got it, all right. He had been um, turned on to this this process called the Pathwork. Mm, okay. And it was a very sort of woo-woo-ish kind of like, uh-oh moment for me because very early on in my meeting him he asked if I wanted to go to this retreat Mm. and I thought oh dear I'm going to come home with like a peach sheet wrapped around me swinging cymbals in my hands finger (laughs) cymbals and my head shaved and so I I graciously declined and said thank you very much but no okay and then he went off on this retreat and then we later you know connected and, and and started going out with one another and he was doing this facilitated process called the pathwork and I was like well let me learn more about it so I started doing sessions with him oh okay and the woman that was facilitating the the um the sessions I really 
trusted. Like I mm, really yeah. got into what she was offering. And so I began to practice the path work. Right, and right. the path work is a set of lectures okay. that were um, created by a woman by the name of Eva Piercos who channeled them. She was a medium who channeled them uh-huh. and had these sessions in the 60s, right? Mm. So... Um, the thing about the process of the pathwork for me was that it I felt like it combined traditional therapy okay. with spirituality or what I defined as spirituality sure. at the time, which was all this sort of self-help stuff. Right. That is what really helped me peel my onions and my layers yeah, of, to really of skin get into to get it. a right. deeper understanding. And what the pathwork kept revealing to me was about intentionality and self-responsibility. Mm. And the more that I could have a deeper understanding on what activated me as a child that then led me to do the things that, that I do now or right. react the way I react now or or get upset, you know, the way I get upset or all those things. The pathwork really led me to just take a deep breath mm. and delve deeper in, well, what do you think was the intention around that you know, whether the other person, I mean, I can't read the mind of another person sure. and that other person isn't always there, right. you know, or conscious to tell you, but it really led me into a lot of inquiry. And then that led me also to learning more about another person who's very interesting by the name of Byron Katie, who is a woman who does something called the work. Okay. And again, it's all about inquiry okay. and all about asking questions and, and asking really, is this the absolute truth mm. out of everything that you say is happening? Like my husband doesn't listen to me or I'm too fat or my daughter is getting out of control or whatever your yeah. you know, whatever. voice might be. Yeah. Um, the inquiry asks you, is that really the truth? Mm. Is so, that the total truth? And and it really allows you to to engage in that with like a genuine curiosity. Absolutely. And to really start not not necessarily interrogating that because when I think of interrogating, I think of detective, uh, dark room, right. and like suddenly I'm a suspect or something. Mm-hmm. But really approaching that with a genuine genuine curiosity. Absolutely. And I'm also wondering in hearing that there's multiple pathways to consciousness and there's multiple right. pathways to spirituality mm. and being able to do this work to better ourselves in that that self-affirmation, that self-help. I'm wondering for you, what does mental health mean to you and how have you worked through that in building up your own mental health? I don't think I've ever defined mental health. I think it's like just a state of being. Mm, And I think that it's either a healthy one or a not so healthy one. Okay. And I think they're varying degrees. Yes, absolutely. uh, Of course. Um, And some, because some things are things I think that we can do on our own Mm -hmm. and things that we can practice on our own that sustain and support our mental health and well-being. And I think there are other things that we need more information and more support around. Gina is profoundly aware about how important a non-judgmental attitude is for personal growth. Being intentional and non-judgmental with ourselves allow us to shift our perspectives to make real, sustainable improvements. And as Gina mentions, there are multiple pathways to consciousness and spirituality, understanding that mental health is a way of being, influenced by others and ourselves. The beauty of mental health is that different times in our lives will require us to use different methods to take care of ourselves, ultimately in a way that not only destigmatizes mental health, but illness, period. 
I think we all do different things to support ourselves in our mental health, like whether it's we want to go to a place that'll make us laugh right, so right. that we have that kind of feeling of euphoria. Yeah, going we have on the serotonin brains, flowing. You know, the ser- and, exactly. And we all have that. It's just like you said, there's varying degrees of that right. and different actions, different environments will either increase or decrease that. I mean, Um, some people resort to substances. Like I know I do sometimes. I certainly resort to substances sometimes where it's just like, I just need to tune out. I want immediate happiness right now. (laughs) I don't want to have to think about it and get intentional and do the work right now. You know, sometimes you just want to be like, yo, I just need to chill and have a beer. So everybody back (laughs) off, you know. Like, you know, I, that's it. I'm just, I'm just going to do this. And she's just going to, I'm just going to partake Milo. Just let me be. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? That's all right. And right. I think everything and anything in moderation, mm-hmm. including moderation. Sure. But again, what we're really talking about is taking care mm-hmm. of ourselves right. and taking care of our wellness. Mm-hmm. And there's varying degrees. There's different ways of being able to do that. Ultimately, though, what's crucial to understand is that we all have mental health and we don't have to necessarily define it in a particular way. Mm -hmm. But it's just that the understanding of our thoughts, our emotions and our behaviors and how we support ourselves Mm -hmm. and how ultimately we're healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think also for me personally, I have a tendency when something's happening to sort of feel reactive mm, yes um, or, or I take things personally and I don't always have the consciousness to take a pause and a deep breath and know that this is this other person's journey mm-hmm. and that it's happening and I happen to be witnessing it in this moment right, right, right and it might be coming at me in a way but maybe I have absolutely nothing to do with the way in which this person is oh, acting right that's now so powerful yes but often we don't take the time to like remember that and so I just I'm I'm like I'm either I either try to meet it Mm -hmm. and be just as loud or just in the face of or I will like I'll retreat or I'll become the victim of, of whatever's happening yeah and more and more I'm finding ways um you know when I'm in situations that allow for us to take a pause in a moment, right? to actually take that pause in that moment. Yeah, because it gives yeah. me also compassion for the other person. Because in those moments re- lately, I've been more trying to want to figure out how can I help this person? Uh, how can I help them not feel so in fear right now about whatever's coming up for them as we're having this discussion sure. or, or whatever, you know, Absolutely. something's triggering them, right? And so instead of meeting the trigger with my own triggers, yeah. you know, continuing like, to escalate each other, right? And that's what yeah. I feel happens a lot in our communities, you know, and especially in space is where people are so desperate for just life affirming just to live you know we're so caught up so often in like getting and can we have and you know communities that are desperate for resources Mm -hmm. or just for their own livelihood they can't take a pause they're in constant reactive mode yes and um, it would be so great if there was a way. And I, there are people who are doing this work. Like, for instance, there's a woman back in New York in, in Queens. Her name's Erica Ford. Okay. And she has this organization called Pieces of Lifestyle and Life Camp. Mm. And she has been able to transform the lives of so many young people in a space where there was a tremendous amount of violence and a lot of gun violence in particular to have zero gun violence now. And she did that with spiritual practice, with yoga, with real conversations, with with giving tools to young people and and to people in the community on what to do when certain things pop off or when they happen. Right. And to find ways, if they can, first and foremost, find safety and be safe, but but also to like find ways in which to to 
instead of react, I don't know what would be the word, you know? Mm. Um, to be able to either, I don't know, engage or to reflect. Yeah. To engage and reflect yeah. before there is a reactive yeah, yeah. response. Reflecting is probably mm. the key. Because, you, you know, you mentioned there's so, um, there's a lot of it in our communities where we kind of react mm. in a different way. And I, I know I've apologized a lot of time for mm. my actions, too. <clears throat> um, <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, I got some in my. my okay, easy well, halos yeah. popping off of your head. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we both of. That's funny. Is to know that we actually acknowledge that. Yes. And we are aware yeah. of that. And, and I, and yeah. yeah, no, I, I think for for us in in this moment. Um, <laughs> What I recognize is that as we are both grounded in understanding and loving ourselves and knowing ourselves, that then allows us to move forward with knowing each other and interacting with each other. Sure. And, and I think and certainly sorry goes a long oh, way for man. real. If it's really, man. really heartfelt. Let me tell you, I mean, when, that, I, when people have been mm-hmm. pissed off at me, the first thing I'm like is, oh my, I'm so sorry because it wasn't my intention yeah. for you to have this kind of reaction. Exactly. So please like school me and, and, and check me on how I was in your face in some way that made feel that you needed to do that and I apologize and you know at a very young age I I started apologizing to my daughter because you know there were things that because she was my daughter Mm -hmm. and I was the mother that that she chose Mm -hmm. there were certain things that would happen that would trigger unconscious early childhood stuff for me and my relationship to my own mother and so I would because of the work, thank thank God for me for, uh-huh. for, for this for the path work. I was able to very quickly realize in that situation that wow, this has nothing to do with you, and I'm so sorry that I reacted right. that way because this is triggering something in me that has nothing to do with you, but my relationship to my own mother. Sure. And so um, and she learned that very hard time recognizing that. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Taking hard, being, accountable being accountable and taking responsibility. Yeah. yeah. And and that forgiveness um, that we're talking about, both for others and for ourselves, to be real, how powerful that is, and how empowering and how much change that can bring, not just for ourselves but in our interactions with others. Yeah. And I think being able to have that forgiveness to recognize, hey, this isn't. This isn't about me. This is about the other person. And I'm still going to have the compassion to not just escalate the situation, to not just yell at them. But like, let's figure this out. And, right. and being able to make this connection. We, we don't got to be friends at the end of all this. Right. But right. like, let's at least have enough peace to, to be able to reflect and breathe and to take a minute. Right. And yeah. a lot of the work that I've been doing in the criminal justice space, too, has also been examining this concept, for instance, of victim. Mm. Like, who is really the victim? Right, right, right. Um, certainly a person who shoots another person, the other person who's been shot, or their family, are victims. But the person who shot the person also is a victim in some cases because they're led to this moment in mm-hmm. thinking that that's an action that they need or can take. Right, right. And so they, they're a victim of their early childhood and their circumstances as well. And so I think it's important for us to to spread the love and the compassion and the yes. empathy. And, and also, as you've been saying so often in this in this interview and in this process about you know, self-acceptance and self-love Absolutely. and, and self, um, self-reflection um, and, and sort of, you know, feeling that you can apologize to yourself, yeah. even, you know, and... Um, I have a hard time doing that sometimes, uh, admittedly. Yeah. I have a hard mm. time saying, I'm uh, giving myself a break. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's hard to do. And I don't, and, and 
I like whoever can do that now at at a, like you know in their twenties. Kudos to you. Tell yeah. me that secret, because yeah. you know even now in my thirties, <clears throat> yeah. um, I have a hard time. Yeah, yeah. it gets myself. easier as you get older. Yeah, and it's an ongoing journey. I yeah. mean, I can I can tell you how many books and trainings and seminars and all that kind of stuff that I as a psychologist have to attend and go to on a regular basis. And I myself still have ongoing trouble with that self-acceptance and with that self-compassion. We're human. Yeah, Yeah. and all of us are. No matter what we do, we all are human in the end. Um, And being able to have that self-compassion to, you know what, today I'm not going to get there, but I have tomorrow. Mm. And that's not just good enough, but that's everything that I need. Right. And I have that time to continue on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. So so I'm curious, in all of the work that you've done, have you noticed the conversation around mental health and self-empowerment change over the years? You know, when past presidents closed all of the mental health facilities oh, in, man. in this country mm-hmm. and started to criminalize mental health mm-hmm. and criminalize poverty... Um, I think the conversation around mental health started to take on a different theme and look. Different feel, and I think yeah. that for a long time people were demonized. Yes. Um, around their, I mean, that, that's not new, actually. I mean, that's, you know, when we think of, you know, burning witches or when we think of how men often try to control yes. women in many cultures mm-hmm. a- around mental health and especially in many Puritan societies and, you know, whether it was even our own sexuality, mm-hmm. you know, they tried to temper us f- female sexuality mm. by creating it as a mental health problem or a mental health issue. Yeah. Like what's um, wrong with her? What's wrong with them? Like how, how dare right, they? Right. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think, you know, and I think I, I have to say, I think religion plays a big role in that. And I think sure. the dogma of some religions and the mis transformation of, of religions often plays a role because mm-hmm. it's many religions judge people. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, I think it has. I mean, I think that there are far more um, opportunities and ways in which to engage one's uh, process around gaining mental health and wellness and well-being. Yeah, I think that um, you know we're we're looking at far more alternatives and ways for people to be healthy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there seems to be so many aspects to. A person's process. I mean, we can also look at it chemically and we can also look at our own diet sure. and, you know, what people eat and how that affects them chemically and their, you know, mental health and well-being. I mean, I've been binge watching this show. I have to be honest. It's really an obsession right now, but I'm okay. getting through it and I'm All getting right. over it. All but right. it's called My 600 Pound Life. Oh, and it's about okay. people who have are 600 pounds and above okay. who are trying to lose weight and get this surgery, to, you know, the, the, the stomach surgery surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and inevitably, at least most of the women that I've seen in the process of this have all been either sexually abused mm. or um, when they were children or as adults, mm. and which they've then chosen to get very heavy because they feel if they eat enough food, they'll get ugly and the people won't want to be with them. Right, right, right. And so I've been watching this interesting like psychology around that. And I think that, and I only bring that up to say that, it feels like our society is in some ways more accepting of helping people mm-hmm. engage, but they're also at the same time um, 
fascinated by yeah. the mental illness that permeates throughout society. When you yes. look at all of the reality TV shows, the one you know, the housewives or whatever they are, there's so many yeah. it's, mental health issues on those shows. There's something and, everywhere. So it's yeah. fascinating, I think, in our culture it's for people to sort of watch someone else with the problem. Right. And maybe recognize it in themselves, but a lot of the time pointing the finger and saying it's somebody else's problem or issue and that, not that's really exactly looking it. at themselves enough. It's a catch twenty two because we want to have more conversations and to raise the awareness of mental health, but not at the cost of of saying everyone has a mental illness. I think being right. able to, to separate, everyone has mental health and you have varying degrees of mental health, just like we have varying degrees uh, of physical health. Right. And it's not to say that just because you're having a bad day, you're not to be dehumanized by saying you have a mental illness or saying those with mental illnesses are less than human either. Right. Um, and what I know I get really upset about is how mental health has become in, in certain spaces, on certain channels, TV shows, what have you, so sensationalized. Right. Because it's like, oh, this person who is so anxious or this person who lashes out at others, there's something like sensational or something sexy about that. Mm -hmm. So let's make a TV show about that. Right. But we're not having the real conversations of understanding what mental health is and is not. Yeah. yeah. And then you have the TV shows that follow up with that, that have these you know so-called therapist of sorts mm -hmm. and bring yeah. a celebrity in and they're just like so you were on this reality show and we saw you fighting and yeah it's all it gets me upset too more so now because you know dating milo for so many years now i i see the work that he does and um and and it gets me really upset when i see media and and i'm in media mm -hmm. um you know giving it the stigma and staying right yes we have got to find a way to destigmatize yes the issue of illness period whether it's health or mental health mm -hmm. um i think it's you have a mental health issue mm -hmm. and we have a health issue um but i feel like we we have we need to reclaim the word illness absolutely in some way you know i also have watched some of those reality shows with you know ianla or somebody who is you know doing you know those and i'm kind of okay with not all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I have. I, I have to be honest. I kind of tend to gravitate toward what she's offering as solution and exercises mm -hmm. and things. And and I think that her process is, at least from what I can engage, is really to let the person know that you need some sort of practice mm -hmm. in helping yourself. Yes. And uh, you know whether it's therapy or whether it's you know doing these exercises so right. that you can become more conscious of yourself or meditation yeah. or a workout or mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's so many things and i personally think we need all of it yeah i was just about you to know, say i think or, that the, i don't think yeah. there's any one thing that can sustain us mm. i think at least for me I, I like like different kinds of venues to 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 get a deeper understanding of who i am mm -hmm. and what i do and why i do it and i think the the beautiful part of what you're saying there is that we can have different venues and different pathways at different times yeah. so for example at one point in your life you may be okay by going to the gym practicing yes. some spirituality mm -hmm. but if you have some extenuating circumstances if you have a death in the family mm -hmm. if you have experienced a traumatic event yeah. then you may be open to trying something new because the circumstances are right. different and one would hope so because it's like 
if it's something that you've never dealt with before, mm-hmm. or it's like if I was going to do a research project on something that I didn't know anything about, right. I would want to go to an expert. Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah, so absolutely. so if I if something happens to me that I and then and, and the feelings that I'm having are in an area and a space that is totally unfamiliar. Right. I'm going to want to seek out someone who knows about this unfamiliar place and territory that I'm in. Yes. Um, you know, to make sure that they can, like am I weird in thinking this or am I alone in thinking we this? Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. That that icy hot on everything. Shout out to shout out to Shaq. Like I'm like yeah. man I can't. I'm anxious. They let me just rub icy hot on my chest. Yeah, like that's not always gonna work. Right. Yeah. Right. I'll take a massage though. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, she looked at me with intensity on that one. Yes. Like, like that was a little rubbing hint, my hint. feet later, yeah. please. Thank you yeah, very yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> you got ice cream. I want the foot. So, well, I'm, I'm curious though. In in knowing, wait, uh, when are we gonna have in, like International Massage Day? Ooh. Oh man, I'm, I'm all a, for ice cream, but yeah, we need to yeah, have like a I'm national. I'm sure that, that has to be out day. there, right? Like if they got National Hot Dog Day, like they gotta have it. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, massage. Can you imagine like being on a bank line and everybody sort of massaging each other's shoulders yeah. from waiting while you're, while you're waiting on the line at the grocery store? Yeah. It's yeah. National Massage Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and make sure that we uh, engage in the consent to do that yes, too. Yes, right? absolutely. Shoulders only. Shoulders yeah, only. Shoulders only. <laughs> yeah. But um, in in closing, I have two more questions. One, sure. I just want to check in. How do you know, in, in all the work that you're doing, and just because life is is hard. Mm-hmm. How do you know when you're stressed? How do you know when you're either at that point like, okay, I need to try something new or I need to shift it up a little bit or internally, what are some of those signals that you feel to know that you're feeling stressed? Well, there is that gut and intuition. Mm. And especially as a woman, I have a very high sensitivity to my intuition. Mm. You mean what are sort of like the outward signs, or, like rings under my eyes, <laughs> or inward signs, loss yeah. of appetite, yeah. or or always craving something to eat, yeah, um, yeah. like always hangry. To, yes, mm. yes. Mm. Um, you know, I've been working on balance for uh. such a long time. Um, not saying that I've achieved it by any means. Um, when I get stressed, I feel I think it's physical predominantly with me. Like okay. I get tense in my shoulders. Yes. Um, I have neck issues. When they when those neck issues come up, I'm like, all right, I need to take a pause. You yeah. Know? If I don't get enough sleep, mm-hmm. you know, that's a clear sign that I'm not doing the right thing. And it's interesting about sleep because if I party uh-huh. and hang out late, that kind of tired is different than a stress tired oh 100%, you know it's like that you yes. know so to, to start really um, listening more to my own body yeah yeah and listening to what's coming out of my mouth sometimes when i'm like okay i think i need to take a nap because i'm not communicating well but i think it's really intuition ah okay it's an intuitive thing that comes up you know because i don't stress does not help me move forward mm. but it is definitely information sure and if i can be open enough to receiving that information yeah and taking a pause sure, yeah. and really understanding where's my ego involved in this stress yeah how much do i feel like i'm needing to solve some problem that's really out of my control so yeah. to speak i mean it's almost like counterintuitive to say but i feel that there's good stress and there's bad stress yeah because even though as you're saying 
I'm recognizing I'm stressed. I need to move forward with something that's still telling you something that you can use mm -hmm. um, to better yourself or right. to better and, and to ultimately de-stress. And I think people also need to, what you said earlier, listen more to themselves. Yes. Because we don't listen to our bodies. Mm -hmm. it, we're, we're not paying attention to how we felt when we partied really hard and woke up the next morning. <laughs> yep. And we just was up late working. Right. And we had to wake up really early in the morning. There are right. two different ways of yeah. feeling from that part over absolutely and just the work hangover yeah and then I think again it goes back to a bit of an inquiry yeah. you know and, sure. uh, and and checking yourself you're like if you're really working hard and you're working like what are you trying to prove mm -hmm. like and who are you trying to prove it to right and in asking those questions sometimes the answer doesn't always come but if you can combine some other practices some whether it's going to the gym or meditating or right. doing a yoga class maybe some of those answers will come yes and then you can have a little conversation with yourself and yes. be like, you know what? That person has already acknowledged and accepted me. Why am I still pushing for that? Or why, you know, maybe I need to peel this onion a little deeper and go deeper into some early pain or, or past life pain or right. something that will help me just begin to identify more uh, where my ego kicks in. Because mm -hmm. I feel like my like a lot of my stress is connected to my ego. Okay. Um, you know, trying to do better and, you know, prove something, yeah. and, you know, not giving my, you know, heard of it said that way before you, my stress is um, attached to my ego. That mm. way. Yeah. Like I think for that, I've never heard of that before. That way before. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Me, sure. You just said something that hit home for me. Cool. That's nice. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that little moment. Yeah. Mental health is real moment. So, so the last question is. Um, it's not oh, the last question. It's just the next one. Man. There may not be any more right now after this right. one. Boom. But for sure, it's just there, the next question. Well, thank. I I received that. Thank you. <laughs> I received that with an open heart, open mind. So, do you have that special indulgence, that thing where you know what? Life is hard. I just really want this special treat to kind of boost my mental health, to boost my emotional well-being. Do you have that special treat or special treats? Chocolate. Chocolate. I would say it's chocolate. Mm. I mean, I, um, and also the work that I do, the, I think the work in some ways is a treat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and getting to do it in, in the way in which I like to do it. Um, but if we're talking about sort of like, I mean, sweets, guilt-free. Guilt like, it doesn't have to be sweets. Maybe it's I mean, like, you know, sometimes we've had other guests who say sneakers. And mm, sneakers right. Yeah. You know, I. It's got to be something, you right? Have to have something. Have whether have something. it's like I love know, to Olivia cook. Pope and she's got her popcorn and, and her the wine. wine. Yep. Or if it's you love cooking, you know, and I do and love cooking. I'll say I'll, I'm just gonna go with chocolate. Okay. So we know. Yeah. What to I mean, I. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. There we go. No, I really love chocolate and like when i go to another country i guess it, it's got to be chocolate who am i trying to kid it's chocolate because when i go no because when i go to another country i'm always like there you know is. do you have any special chocolate here yeah, i'm always yeah, yeah. asking about the chocolate okay. and, and um yeah i think it's chocolate if you're buying chocolate from every country <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go ahead and say <laughs> yeah chocolate's the thing yeah but it's so interesting yeah. because i haven't had any in a in a in a in like you know over let's say a week or so okay or maybe i had a little bit but not a, like i haven't had mm -hmm. you know so that's why it was hard for me to get to because there's so many things that i like like mm. you know i love mangoes mm. oh. um and i just love mangoes oh. 
But maybe I don't love them as much as chocolate. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. let's say chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate. I'm gonna okay. go with chocolate. All right. Yeah, I can. I can picture you going into an airport or you know a little flea market of sort. And yeah. Being excited. About like if there's a new chocolate. chocolate. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. And seeing what it looks like. I can see you like as a chocolate curator. Like she's able to mm. to really manifest this like surplus or this like stash of chocolate, and like she has special well, like containers for holding chocolate. I was recently out of the country and I bought a bunch of chocolate and yeah, I brought yeah. it back with me, and um, I have the good fortune at the moment to be a bi-coastal resident. Okay, and so I was on one coast and I put it in my fridge, ready to bring it to this coast, uh-huh. and I didn't bring it with me, and oh. so it's sitting in my refrigerator. And I have to say, it's got to be chocolate because I keep thinking about it in my refrigerator that I'm not getting it now and I and I even almost it's funny because I thought about when I was at the grocery store the other day like oh maybe I should get some chocolate and I was like oh I've got that chocolate that's so good that's waiting for me in my fridge and I thought you know what I'm not gonna get any so I didn't get any well yeah I I feel the same way okay so it's chocolate you guys totally checked me and like it's chocolate yep all part of my master plan all along (laughs) Oh, poor, my, what is her weakness? Yep, I got got that psychoanalysis for to get to the chocolate. <laughs> all right. Well, look, you know, we don't want to stand in in the way of all the your plans oh, for today, <laughs> or you you getting to some good chocolate. Um, we can give you directions to like the nearest I don't know Godiva shop or something uh, around the corner. But honestly, just from from our hearts to you, we just really want to say thank you. Yeah. Um, you're it, you're you're doing a fight that most of us don't have the strength. Mm-mm. to do and the work that you continue to do and what you've already done mm-hmm. is impeccable it's it's a it's a just a big warm thank you there's i don't know how else to say it yeah well i let me say that i appreciate that and i receive that mm. um i will say that i don't do this in a vacuum or by myself you know it's Amen. Con- it's always in partnership it's always in community right and it's um i've i've, I've just had the opportunity and good fortune to 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 have the access to to good partners and partnership and um i'm really grateful for you guys to yes. bring me in and give me the opportunity to share myself this is, and, and my story and we are we are so grateful mm-hmm. for you i mean um our our good friend elijah elijah blake when oh. he did uh, the hanging tree yes, with saint kofa we're like oh i just we have to talk to gina yeah. Because there's so much beauty in that and so much depth mm. and and you your involvement obviously in that collaborative piece um, We just knew that we wanted to be able to connect with you um, And, and just share space. Be- I kind of like geeked out. I was like, yes, we got to have her on the podcast <laughs> Like go ahead do your magic. Yes. I'm just gonna hang out here. So but well. but thank you um before there was work that you were doing there there was you and there's always going to be you and we really just want to um acknowledge you as that person and your value as the woman that you are and really just say thank you um and so for all of those of you who are listening thank you for joining us on another episode of mental health is real which is mental health is reflecting empathy and love my name is dr milo dodson and my amazing co-host over there is yes, your thing. There but we you go. <laughs> girl, no, I was trying to be be. You were trying to be cute and toss it over. To I was trying to toss it, but toss toss failed. Um, in any case, moving right along. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, we really, really appreciate you, and we want to send you lots of encouragement and remind you to love and be loved. Peace. 
Mental Health is Real. Reflecting empathy and love. Produced by Yesi Ortiz and Dr. Milo Dotson. Follow us on our socials at ph.dotson at Yesi Ortiz.